feel like, I kind of feel like a ketchup commercial. You're sitting there watching that countdown, anticipation. <laughs> Go ahead and stand with me as we open up in prayer uh, tonight. Thank you for being with us online tonight. Tis a season. Uh, everybody's got something going on. Uh, I know the school's got some programs going on tonight and uh, just, wow. How many have a need tonight? You'll just signify by lifting your hand. If you're online, if you'll comment, we want to pray with you as well. Uh, let's do pray for those that are traveling as they, as we move in school, uh, school will be out here shortly and people will be flying the coop and getting out on the roads and however else they're going to travel. So just pray, uh, for them and also continue praying for this Christmas season. Again, my, my burden this year and, and every year it's just, you know, as I prayerfully get ready to preach each Sunday, um, my, my burden this year is those who dwell in darkness have seen a great light. And, and that's really been heavy on my heart. So let's just pray that, again, this Christmas season, uh, that his light shines brighter this year than, than in times that we can remember. So let's pray. Father, tonight, thank you for the privilege to come together and study your word. Lord, I thank you that, uh, Lord, for this Christmas season, again, I say it all the time, around us we're surrounded by the sights and sounds of this special day, and I thank you for the reminders, uh, Lord, that you loved us enough. Father, you sent, you loved us enough that you sent your only son uh, to die and do for us what we could not do for ourselves. That's what Christmas is all about, and thank you. And thank you for the privilege of prayer, uh, Lord, that we can call out to you in our time of need, knowing that you hear us when we pray. Every hand that went up in the building tonight, everyone online, uh, Lord, their needs we have, their pressing needs. Some need healing. Some need some encouragement, some need provision. Uh, Lord, some need guidance and just clarification. Uh, Lord, all of these things you've promised to take care of. So, Lord, we just cast those cares upon you and know that you care for us. And we pray uh, for all the ministries tonight. Lord, just be lifted high as we celebrate this time of year. Lord, I pray for those that are traveling and getting on the road for the, for the Christmas time. Lord, I pray your hand of protection and mercy upon them. Uh, Lord, we ask you to be with us in our study tonight. Uh, Lord, open our, our, our ears and our minds and our hearts and let us hear what the Spirit would say to us. And Father, we pray that during this Christmas time, Lord, regardless of what's going on, Lord, may we see your light uh, surrounding us in all that we do. And we just thank you for it in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. God bless you. you may be seated. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. While you're turning there, couple of announcements. Don't forget, tomorrow is our last food distribution of the year. Uh, last food distribution of the year. This is at Yellow Jacket Stadium, uh, 9 o'clock, and we'll get that going. And uh, it'll be a, uh, we love serving our community. And again, this time of year, I know people need it. So thank you for helping out in that regard. Also, something I did not mention on Sunday, and I totally forgot. See, I, I have this, you know, I have some timers, and sometimes I need to write things. How many, how many write things down? You know, everybody says, I, you know, I have a smartphone. I said, yeah, but I'm a dumb operator because <laughs> I, I have a smartphone, and they say, well, put it in your phone, and you won't forget. Not true. Not true. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, so, so anyway, I meant to say this on Sunday. Some of you probably have already heard, but anyway, uh, Devin and Ashley Peterson uh, will be leaving um, Bethel. They, he has accepted a, a church a pastorate in Maryland, and so they'll be leaving. Uh, his last Sunday will be the 31st, and we bid them uh, 
Godspeed and and uh, get them a pair of long handles as they move north. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, just appreciate all that they've done in their time here and wish them the very best. Uh, and it's always a joy to step into a new role in ministry, and uh, we're excited for him as well. Uh, as far as uh, Christmas services, don't forget that uh, this Sunday is a regular service. So we have Sunday morning, 8.30, Sunday school, 9, uh, 10.45 service. Next week, we will meet for midweek service. And then that Sunday, the 24th, we're doing that one service at 10 a.m. It'll be our Christmas Eve, can uh, not candlelight, but Christmas Eve communion service. Uh, then we won't have service between Christmas and New Year's. Um, and then on the 31st, we'll go back to normal schedule, 8.30, Sunday school, and then 10.45. Can you believe we're almost in 2024? I was uh, kind of looking through some... So, so I had this thing, if, if you've ever stepped into my office, I tell everybody, I, I, I'm OCD in a lot of things except when it comes to the office because I stay so busy. I, I usually take things in there, I slap it down on the desk, and I don't worry about it because I know, in, I, I tell everybody, I know what's in my piles. But this is the time of year that I do my annual cleaning, uh, and I, I go through the piles. I throw things away that I don't need. And uh, I was actually doing that a little bit today in my runnings, and I came across a note that I had written 24 years ago. Uh, well, <laughs> it, was, it was a sermon, okay? It was part of research for a sermon. It wasn't a note that I stuck there 24 years ago. I've cleaned since then. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was some research that I was doing. How many remember Y2K? Yeah. I, I preached a message on Y2K and you, <laughs> and it was some of the research that I did back in the day, and here we are 24, almost 24 years later, and can you imagine, you know, and everybody's like, man, why doesn't, why doesn't Jesus come? Well, he's not ready yet. Amen. As long as he delays, you know, it's another opportunity for people to be saved, and that's, a, that's, a, his, that's an act of mercy and his grace. You know, because if I was God, we'd been out of here. Beam me up, Scotty. <laughs> anyway, let's get right into it, uh, our, our teaching tonight. Uh, as you can see, I'm going to, no series, we'll start series after the first of the year, but a man named Joseph, a man named Joseph. Verse number 18, first, uh, Matthew, I was going to say First John, <laughs> Matthew 1, beginning verse number 18, says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was his followers. As follows, after his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while we thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which the, was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, 
did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. May the Lord add his blessing to his word tonight. I wanted to do a play off of last week. Last week we talked about some of the, you know, when we, when we get into the Christmas season, it always reminds us of characters, certain characters. Uh, you know, from a secular perspective, you know, we think of the traditional Christmas characters. We think of Santa Claus. We think about his elves. Uh, we think about flying reindeer, uh, Frosty, you know, the snowman, uh, Ebenezer Scrooge. You know, we think about him. We think of Clarence. Anybody remember Clarence? Think about Clarence, just to name a few. I mean, there's many. You know, there's a lot of characters that are associated with Christmas, uh, but there's also a biblical record of certain characters that are prominent in the Christmas story. You know, you, you think about what you would typically see in a, in a Christmas pageant. You would, have, you would have angels, you would have wise men, there would be shepherds, there'd be an innkeeper. Uh, and last week we talked about the original Grinch, who was Herod the Great, the king. Many of these characters, when you read the Christmas story, they stand out. They, they, they command attention. You, when you read their names, or even if you just hear their names, you automatically know their backstory. They command that type of attention. We know their stories well. But I want to focus tonight on a man named Joseph. A man named Joseph. He's a key player in the Christmas story, although he doesn't garner near the attention that the others do. Joseph, we know him because he's in the pageant. <laughs> we, we know him because there's a character that plays him, and we know that he's Mary's husband, but that's about what we know. There's not a whole lot of information about Joseph, and so I want to I focus on him a little bit tonight, but let me ask you, if you could meet any, Christ, uh, any, any of the characters of Christmas, who would you want to meet? You ever thought about that? You know, you know I, I keep a list, and in my mind, of people, and, you know, number one, I have a list of questions that I want to ask when I get to heaven. Now, I know that's silly because when I get to heaven, I don't even care about it anymore. But I have a list of questions, and then I also have a list of people that I want to see. You know, I think about that great song. Uh, what's the title of that song? It talks about when I uh, bowed on my knees and cried holy, you know, uh, Abraham and you know, they're people that I just, I just want to meet. And if I could meet any of the Christmas characters, who would it be? Again, it would be very difficult to really narrow that down because there are a lot of interesting characters. In fact, we, again, like I said last week, Herod the Great is the original Grinch. He was a jealous king. Uh, he was a king who was jealous of a little baby. How about the Magi? I think they would be interested. I think they would be interesting to sit down and talk to. I mean, these were wise men from the east. Well, who are they exactly? Where did they come from? How did they know to follow the star? I mean, those are, those are questions that I would like to ask them. What made you decide to travel that far based on a star in the sky? What was it? How did you know that? How about the innkeeper? I think he'd be an interesting character. Uh, you know, I mean, again, I thought Kurt did a good job <laughs> portraying the innkeeper in his presentation. But, I mean, think about it. I, I know he gets a bad rap, okay? I mean, he's gone down in history as the guy who turned away <laughs> the birth of baby Jesus, right? He's infamous for that. But 
But I mean, can you picture, can you imagine how hectic things must have been during this, during this particular time as, as you had hundreds if not thousands of travelers moving uh, across the country to follow the decree that Caesar had made, that they had to go back to their hometown and, and, and conduct the census. You know, I mean, I, I wonder if he ever, after he turned them away or put them in the barn, I wonder if he ever discovered, this is my question, did he ever figure out who was in the barn? Did he ever learn about the baby that was born in his barn next to the goat? <laughs> From Kurt. <laughs> How about the shepherds? Again, I think they would be interesting because, again, from a social economic standpoint, these men, shepherds, were the bottom rung. I mean, they were the worst of the worst. They were the outcasts, the rejects of society. Uh, again, that, that, the lowest of low class, that's a shepherd. They're the bottom of the social ladder, and yet it was to them that the message came first. I would love to, 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 to talk to them and say, hey, were you afraid? Well, duh, the Bible says they were sorely afraid. You know, and I think that the words don't do it justice because to me, sorely afraid means they were, they were quaking in their boots. I mean, wouldn't you? If, it, if all of a sudden in the middle of the night, angels burst forth in your bedroom and shone rolled about, around about you, wouldn't you kind of shake a little bit? <laughs> One of my stories that I enjoy, uh, Smith Wigglesworth, if you've ever read any of his stories, Smith Wigglesworth, Smith Wigglesworth tells a time when, uh, when he was being troubled by Satan, and he was, he was asleep, and he sensed an eerie presence in his bedroom, and he woke up in the middle of the night, looked down, and Satan was standing at the end of his bed, and he looked at him and said, oh, it's just you, and he rolled back over and went to sleep. I want faith like that. <laughs> I promise you, I don't know that I would roll back over and go to sleep, <laughs> but I mean, I'd love to hear the shepherds. How about Anna, the prophetess, uh, Simeon? who took the baby Jesus in his arms and he blessed his parents. And then, of course, you have Mary. You know, Luke tells, Luke writes her story in his gospel. You know, wouldn't you like to meet the mother of Jesus? I think it would be interesting. You know, a little teenage girl have an angel appear and say, hey, by the way, you're, you're going to be with child. And in her mind, she probably understands a little bit of biology and thinks, how in the world is this possible? You know, I'd like to, you know, her famous saying, though, whatever he says, be it so unto me. You know, I, 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 would, I think these would be fascinating people. But I'd like to meet this guy because he's so easily forgotten. He's, he's, he's the forgotten man of Christmas. Matthew writes his story. His name is Joseph. He's the husband of Mary and the earthly father of Jesus. Now, again, I say he's the forgotten man of Christmas. Sure, we see him in the pageants, but that's about all. You know, he's not front and center. He's just part of the, of the trio. You know, you can't have a, a pageant without Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus and the goat. <laughs> you you got to have all those. I say he's forgotten about and the reason is if you search for him in scripture you won't find a lot about him not a whole lot written about him there there are not many references to him I, I promise you there are not many sermons preached about him there's really not a lot known or written about Joseph in fact even when you start talking about the Christmas hymns uh, you go back through some of the traditional Christmas hymns and they and and they sing about everything even the goats 
I got to get off the goat. That's, he, he ran that thing through the whole drama that he did. <laughs> I got stuck on his goat. You know, even, even the Christmas carols and hymns that we sing, they don't talk a lot about him. In, in fact, I don't know of any that really single out Joseph in, the, in their lyrics. You know, the, it, there, there's one in the hymn, Angels We Have Heard on High. It has a verse that, that mentions him, and here's what it says. See within the manger laid, Jesus, Lord of heaven and earth, Mary, Joseph, lend your aid, sing with us Messiah's birth. That's it. He's mentioned <laughs> in passing. But, man, what a guy. What a guy. Here, here's some things we know about him. Number one, his father was Jacob, okay? We know his father. Number two, we know that his family hometown was Bethlehem in Judea, but he lived in Nazareth. And, and that's an interesting thing. That means that when the census was given, that he and Mary, and so one of the things that when I went to Israel, and, and, and if the war, if, if there's ever an opportunity and you're able, go. You know, once the bombs quit flying over there. But... But I, when I read this story in Scripture, and, and I, understand, I understand what all the words mean, but when you're actually there, the spatial things of, of Christmas or the Holy Land come into play. For instance, the Bible says that Mary and Joseph went down to Bethlehem to register for the census. Well, again, we don't think much about that. They just go down to Bethlehem. Well, literally... Literally, they go down because Nazareth is in an elevation much higher than Bethlehem. So they literally have to go down to Bethlehem. Not only that, the distance from Nazareth to Bethlehem is about 95 miles. And they do that in the dead of winter on a, camp, on, on a donkey. They don't have a bus. They don't have a Yugo. They don't have Uber. They're on foot, hoofing it, 95 miles to go from up here at Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem to register for the census because of the decree. Why? Because the prophet said it would be out of Bethlehem that it would be born. See, everything that's in the Christmas story is woven together prophetically. It's woven together. Why in the world would a couple who lived in Nazareth, go all the way to Bethlehem to have the baby. Well, because Caesar Augustus got this idea that he wanted everybody to be registered and counted, so he sends out a decree, and now they got to go to the family hometown, which is Bethlehem. Another thing we know about Joseph is he's from the royal line of David, King David. We see that in our text tonight in Matthew chapter 1. It makes it very clear that he is of the lineage of David, so he fits the profile. Again, the Messiah, the promise of the Messiah, the promise of Christ was given first time ever mentioned in Scripture is Genesis 3.15. We talk about that as being the very first messianic promise. It's the promise that God made when he said to, in judgment of their sin, he said that the serpent would bruise her heel, but he would crush his head. That was looking forward to Calvary. So all th from that point on, all through, you see the lineage. David is in that line. Joseph is in the line with David. 
Another thing we know about him was that Joseph was a carpenter by trade. Okay? We don't know what type of carpenter. He was, you know, he was a carpenter. Another thing we know about him was that he was a poor man. I, I've heard people that have tried to convince us that because he was a carpenter meant he owned his own business. That's ludicrous. I, I mean, he may have owned his own business. I'm not, I'm not denying that, but he wasn't a wealthy man. Their implication is it's part of that health and wealth gospel, you know, type thing. He, he was a poor man. And, and the reason we know this is because when, when Mary and Joseph go to present Jesus in the temple, remember what they brought to, to, to the temple to offer as an offering? Anybody remember? It was a turtle dove. It was a turtle dove. It was a sacrifice uh, Jews who Jews who could not afford uh, a, a lamb were permitted to offer a bird. That's that's how we know he was poor. Another thing we know about Joseph, he was a religious man. He was a religious man. He was a devout a devout keeper of the law, and in fact, we'll see that more pronounced here in just a few moments. Another question people might ask about him, how old was Joseph? Well, we don't really know for sure. You know, the Bible doesn't give us insight into his age. Most scholars would agree that he probably was a young man somewhere around the age of 17 or maybe 18. It was pretty typical in that time for uh, mid-upper mid teens to get married. And so he probably was a young man in his, you know, in his late teens. Um, that's, that's what we know about Joseph. And so our text tonight in chapter, chapter 1 there, verse 18, Matthew tells his story. He said, this is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Now here's an interesting thing. Some of the translations use the word betrothed. Okay, so maybe the translation you have says that she was betrothed to him. Uh, what does that mean? It means pledged to be married. That's, that's really it's the same thing. Uh, this is kind of a reference to an ancient Jewish marriage custom. Uh, in those days, most marriages were arranged. Most of the marriages were arranged by parents with or without <laughs> the kid's approval. Uh, it was arranged. Two parents, two sets of parents would sit down. They would draw up a formal marriage contract. When the contract was signed, the man and woman were legally pledged to each other. And from then on, they had this period of betrothal uh, that could last up to a year. And at the end of that year, uh, they would be formally married in a public wedding ceremony. So that's kind of what's going on here. Now, it sounds kind of like our engagement, but there are a lot of major differences. And here's one of them. When you are betrothed or pledged to marry, it is considered as sacred as marriage itself. It was as sacred as the marriage covenant itself. In fact, during that year... The couple was called husband and wife, but they didn't live together. They were called husband and wife. They didn't live together. If the man died during that year before they were publicly wed, she would be considered a widow, even though a ceremony had never taken place. And the only way that you could break a betrothal was a legal divorce. That's the only way it could happen. So again, it's a little bit different than today where we, we take the ring off, throw it back in their face and say, I'm done. You know, it didn't happen quite like that. So in essence, the pledge 
to each other was the same thing as being married, only you couldn't live together until the wedding ceremony took place. And so the idea behind it was you had one year of waiting to, to kind of test the commitment and faithfulness of each other as you grew in love. See, remember, their tra- tradition was arranged marriages. So you would imagine that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure they pro- my assumption would be that they knew each other, but they, you know, maybe not. I mean, we don't know. But they had a period of time where they were to grow together in their commitment to each other. Remember back when I taught on marriage, I said that love is not the glue that holds marriage together. Commitment is. Love is the reward for commitment. So that's kind of the betrothal process. You commit to her, she commits to him, and over the course of the year, through that commitment, they grow together and they grow to learn to love one another. And then they have the wedding ceremony. So that's kind of where we are. That's kind of up to date. So this is where the story really takes an interesting turn, okay? Um, According to Deuteronomy chapter 22, if a woman is found to be pregnant during the betrothal period, that could only mean one thing. She'd been unfaithful. And in that case, the law commanded that she was to be stoned to death. That was, a, again, not, not today. Today we're so cavalier about commitments to one another, husband-wife commitments, things like that. Not so. Back then, it was, a, it was a serious deal. And if she was found to be pregnant, the law allowed for that husband, uh, for, again, she was to be stoned to death. And, and so this is kind of where the story, the Christmas story, gets really interesting. Because Mary turns up pregnant, and the only thing that Joseph knows, he's not the father. Now think about that for a minute. And, and maybe you've had that experience. I, I, I'm just saying, put yourself in his spot. He's deeply religious, a keeper of the law. He's now presented with this situation here where his betrothed wife is pregnant. And he, again, only knows one thing, and that is he's not the father. Have you ever... Have you ever wondered how he must have felt? Again, that, that would be one of the things I'd like to ask him. Hey, how did, how did you feel? I'm sure it was like somebody balled up their fist and hit him as hard as they could in the gut and just, ooh, waylaid him. And the only reason I say that is because in my 30-plus years of ministry, I've actually had people that have come to me that have had, not, not, well, they've had situations of unfaithfulness and how they found out it was like a gut punch. It's not something you want to think about. It's not something that you think, again, you don't ever imagine it, and then all of a sudden it's happening to you. And again, um, I, I, I know it's pure speculation, but I can imagine he went through a whole range of mo- emotions. I think he probably was angry. How many would agree with that? I think, he, I think he was angry. I think he was confused. I think he battled uh, frustration, probably embarrassment, Shame and disappointment. I think these are all the emotions that flood him. When we're wronged, we go through those processes too. We get angry, you know, depending on what the, what the uh, betrayal is. We, we go through all of those emotions. I mean, again, what did he say to her? You know, we don't know, but what did he say? I mean, what did she say to him? Did she tell him about Gabriel? <laughs> How'd that go? I mean, if she did, can you blame him for not believing? Can you imagine 
you find out that your 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 fiance is pregnant. You know you're not the dad. And she says, hey, hey, I promise, I've been faithful, I promise you. There's an angel that stood here and told me that this would be of the whole. What would you think about that? <laughs> You'd go check the refrigerator. I mean, again, we, we, we read this story and we don't, they're, they're human beings <laughs> with emotions and feelings and and, and I would imagine, you know, she's telling him this story, but, but Joseph, I promise you, I've never cheated on you. There's an angel of the Lord that stood right here and told me that God favored me and I would be, I would be with child. And he's like, he's like, sure, I got a bridge in the desert I'll sell real cheap. He str- I'm sure he struggled. I want to ask him about that. Did he say something like, Mary? How could you do this? How could you do this? We, we were pledged to be married. We were going to get married. I was going to build you a little house there in Nazareth. Mary, how, would you, how could you do this to me? I kept myself for you. Why couldn't you keep yourself for me? I think Joseph probably cried, just my assumption. I think he probably cried harder that day than he'd ever cried in his life. You ever had a moment where the rug's been just ripped right out from under your feet? I think that's what was going on with him. If you, if you have, then you understand, maybe to a small degree, of the emotions that this man is dealing with at this moment. Put yourself in his shoes. You're a teenager in love. Suddenly, suddenly your girlfriend turns up pregnant. You're not the father, and you don't really know who is. What do you do? Well, I can tell you in our culture today what typically would happen as an American teenager. You're given $300 and you're told to go get an abortion. That's our culture. It's, thank God that Planned Parenthood wasn't around back then. You know, let's go and undo our mistake. It's cheap. Again, and I'm not making fun. I, I know there are people that struggle because they, they bought into a system that lied to them and they had abortions and they, they battled guilt. But I'm just saying our culture today, we, we have no value of life. Every time I hold a baby as we do a, the baby dedication, it, it does something inside of me. I look at that baby and I'm thinking, wow, it's amazing to me the gift of life. And how easily we snuff it out and we never, we don't even, I mean, we, we march for the right to murder our babies. There's something fundamentally wrong upstairs if we do that. You know, this is the solution over one million children or one million people every single year in this country. It's the solution to the unwanted pregnancy. Thankfully, Joseph and Mary didn't have that option. I'm not saying they would have taken it. I'm just saying, thankfully, that they didn't have that option. Abortion was a very rare occurrence in ancient Israel. And as I said, Planned Parenthood did not open a clinic in Nazareth. Joseph's dilemma was quite different than different variety. He's an, again, he's a religious man. He's an, he is an observant Jew. And under the law, he had every right to divorce Mary for unfaithfulness. He could, he could have dis- dismissed her right then and there. In fact, if you look at it and get right down to the detail, the, mar- the law actually prevented him 
from marrying her under those circumstances. So not only could he legally get out of the engagement, again, she, she could have been stoned. He was prevented from marrying her because of the circumstance. So, so there's a lot going on. He's got a lot of stuff. Can you imagine being a, 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 mid, a mid to upper teenage boy, young man, and having all of this dumped on you at once? Man, this is where I think gives me reason I want to meet him because this is where he shines. This is why I think he's worthy <laughs> of including in our characters of Christmas that we need to meet because here's one thing about Joseph that we do know. He loved her, Mary, even though she had been, in his mind, unfaithful to him. His love covered her shame. That's a powerful thing to think about. We'll unpack that. He loved her. So, so this, this engagement thing is that it was a growing period. He loved her. And you can tell by the responses and what he does that his love was not just a cursory type of love. It was a deep, deep love. He shielded her from, he, he covered her shame. And again, it wasn't the easiest thing to do, I promise you. Uh, you know, I, I've often told folks who, who are in, battling in their marriage, they have issues. I've always said this, God will honor those who honor him. There have been a number of occasions in my tenure here as pastor where couples have come in and they've had some unfaithfulness and there have been some difficulties. And I, I've always looked at them and I said, look, just because something is permissible doesn't mean it's God's will. The law, the law allowed this, but what does God's will say? See, I think sometimes we're so quick to jump to a reaction that we don't stop long enough to discern what, it is, what the will of God is. God will always honor those who honor him. Rather than react the typical way, we should ask God for strength to, act, to react in a way that honors him. You know, it's not always to hire a lawyer. Maybe it's to hire a counselor. Amen? I know that, that, that flies in the face of our culture today. But the answer is not always to go get a divorce, a divorce attorney. Maybe the answer is to go find a, a biblical counselor that can help us work through those issues so that we can be stronger afterwards than we were before. The Bible says, Paul writing to the Corinthian church says, we're to comfort others with the same comfort we ourselves have been comforted with. Listen, if I, if, if I walk through the deep, dark valleys of life and I find comfort in him, now I'm equipped to help someone else dealing with the same thing. You know, if I walk in honor of God, there are going to be people in my pathway. And with Sheila's disability and her illness, there have been occasions where I've run across people that are struggling as caregivers. I know what they're talking about. I walk it every day. Again, it's not been there, done that. It's just that's, that's, I've been comforted by the Spirit through this, this time. You think about people who have lost loved ones, who've lost husbands, who've lost children. They, they've done so. When they honor God in the way that they handle all of that, they now become a resource for the kingdom of God to help those who struggle. Again, it, it wasn't an easy thing to do. Again, does it mean that uh, there'll be time, if we, if we operate like that, does it mean that there'll be times we're taken advantage of? <laughs> yes. Absolutely. But God keeps the record, and he'll settle the accounts. 
The potential of somebody doing wrong is not a license for me not to do right. The potential for someone to, to you know, because, again, you think about, you know, people, we get people that call all the time needing assistance, and they'll give you some story, sad story of something happened, this is going on, this is going on, and, and, and they rip at your heartstrings. Well, but what if they're not telling the truth? He, he'll take care of it. He'll take care of it. Are there people that take advantage? <laughs> Absolutely. But God's good at that. You know, Joseph had some options. You know, would he take a revenge? Well, he could have. But he loved her enough that he shielded her. He covered her with his love. Look at verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, notice what it says here in this version. It says, because he was a righteous man. There it is. He was a righteous man. This would be a great Father's Day message. It means he want, what does righteous mean? It means he wanted to do right in the eyes of God. It says, because he was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. What that means is, even though he believed she was unfaithful to him, he still did not want to humiliate her. He said he had a mind in his mind to divorce her quietly. So in, the, in, in that day, a man could get a divorce two ways. The first way is he could get a public divorce by going to the judge at the, count, at, the, at the gate of the city. And if he did that, that meant that the entire city or town would know about Mary's shame. That's one way. The second way he could do that uh, was he could get a private divorce by giving her divorce papers in the presence of two witnesses. So to his credit, because he was a righteous man wanting to do what pleased God, Joseph chose to privately divorce her and spare her of the humiliation of a public divorce. So he makes his decision, but guess what? He doesn't do it. <laughs> Why? Well, you know, again, he had every, like, every legal right and moral right to divorce Mary, but he just could not do it. One writer put it like this, and I love the way he said it. I quote, he said, short but tragic struggle between his legal conscience and his love. Struggle. He hesitated, he waited, he thought long and hard. Day after day, he pondered the matter. Time was running out because, you know what? With pregnancy, it's not that you're going to be able to hide it forever. <laughs> you know? So time's running out. He's got to make a decision at some point. Uh, you know, late at night, he's, I can imagine him laying there looking up at the stars at night, you know, just wondering what to do. And it just so happened that one night, he had a dream. And I think it was a night that he had already determined, he decided, okay, tomorrow I've got to do this. I've got to get it done. He has a dream, and in that dream, God spoke to him. The Bible says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, to us, that seems rather strange, but not to Joseph, because God often spoke in those days to people through dreams. In fact, he still does, by the way. You know, I, I read stories of, of particularly Muslim countries. Jesus is appearing to people in Muslim countries that don't have Bibles. He's appearing to them, and there's a, there, you won't hear it on CNN, you won't hear it on Fox. 
there's a revival. There are people that are in Muslim countries that are being born again in droves because Jesus is showing up. He's the witness. So, so Joseph, this, this is not an odd thing. He doesn't wake up and say, oh, it's you and go back to sleep. He, you know, he, he's, uh, he's keenly aware that God speaks in this manner. It worked. Joseph, here's the thing. Joseph is unsure. He needed assurance. Anybody ever been there? You, you're hesitant. You, you feel like you need to do this, but there's just something that just doesn't, it doesn't let you pull the trigger. That's what's going on with Joseph. He's struggling. Again, he's got his, you know, he's got every right to do it, but he loves her deeply, and there's a, there's a tug of war going on. He couldn't marry, he couldn't marry Mary until he was sure and it, that it was right. He needed to know the truth. And you know what God did? God met him at the point of his need at the exact right moment. He said, Joseph, this is what he needed to hear from God. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. That's all he needed. The angel's not finished because verse 21, he goes on and says, the angel goes on and says, and she will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The angel explains enough and nothing more. Sometimes we want the rest of the story. That's a Paul Harvey thing. He didn't get the rest of the story. He was explained enough. That's, that's all that he got. But it was enough to go ahead and take her as his wife. He says, the angel said, the baby is from the Holy Spirit. Thus, it's not from man. She didn't cheat on you. Nothing more said. We're not told exactly how that conception happened. Not important. I mean, if Jesus could speak and everything come into order, he certainly could do that, right? Not a, not a big deal. Not a big deal. The angel added a detail about the baby and said, you know, his name will be Jesus, Yeshua. He will save his people, Savior. His mission is to save his people from their sins. And, and, and that's not all. It's not a long message, but it's, uh, again, and that's it. That's all he was told. It's not a long message. It's just all that he needed to know. Verse 24 and 25, again, I think are insufficient as we talk about the Christmas verses, but they do show us a little bit of his character. It says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel, notice that. When he woke up, okay, this is, he still has this going on. When he woke up, what the angel he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do, and he took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she had given birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. That's a Christmas story right there. Every step that he makes is a testament to his greatness. But think about this. Number one, by marrying her, Quickly, you know what he did? He broke all of the Jewish customs, but he protected her reputation. It made it look like, you know what? We fooled around when we shouldn't have, and I bear responsibility. That's what he did. He shielded her. That's love. That's why I'm saying this is a great Father's Day message. Where are the dads and the husbands that will take shame so that their wife doesn't have to? She was pregnant, he wasn't the father. But he married her anyway. Number two, by keeping her a virgin until Jesus was born, okay, so he did not have union with her. He did not know her. 
didn't have intercourse with her, didn't have intimacy with her. He did that. What did he do? He protected the miracle of the virgin birth. That's what he did. By naming the baby, okay, number three, by naming the baby, he exercised a father's prerogative and thus officially took him into his family as his own legal son. I think the story is told kind of like what a man would do it, <laughs> the way he would tell it. I like Joseph. I, I, I'd like to meet him because he strikes me as a good man, a good dad, a good husband. You know, we give more attention to Mary, and again, rightly so, but Joseph deserves his credit too. He's a model of the man of faith. That's what a man should, that should be what we aspire to, that type of man. Again, who's willing to take shame so that his wife does not have to. Again, we've got it so messed up in our culture today. We, the way we, we, we look and approach marriage, they had it right. They had it right. He struggled. I mean, you think about him being a model of a man of faith. He struggled. Again, I'm not saying that we don't struggle. He struggled with his doubts. Again, he pondered what he should do. It was a legitimate weight on his shoulders. He, he, he had his doubts. He was persuaded to believe what God had said, and ultimately he acted on the confidence in what God had told him. Isn't that great? Would to God that we had that same level of confidence that we would act on that which God has already spoken to us. That's what he did. In these days of confusion, Joseph is a wonderful model of what a godly man looks like. I mean, think about it. He, He was tough when he could have been weak. He was tender when he could have been harsh. He was thoughtful, and I think this is a big deal. He was thoughtful when he could have been hasty. He was trusting when he could have doubted. He was temperate when he could have indulged himself. Let me ask, are those words that describe us? Are you tough-minded? And this would be to guys. You know, are we tough? Are you tough-minded, determined to do what is right no matter the cost? Joseph wasn't like that. He was tough, but he was kind, compassionate, and considerate. Are you tender towards your wife and your children? Are you thoughtful? Are you thoughtful with the decisions that you have to make? Are you trusting even when you think you could figure out a better, uh, a better way to do things? Are you temperate and considerate of your wife and the special needs that she has and what she needs from you? Are you Again, those are things that we have to ask ourselves. That's what makes Joseph special. There's one other line of proof, I think, about what kind of man Joseph was. When Jesus grew up and he began his public ministry, he chose one word above all other words to describe what God is like, and that word that he chose was Abba, Father, Father. Where did Jesus learn about fathers? From Joseph. From Joseph, his earthly father. The way our children respond to God, and I'm going to say this, depends largely on the type of father that I am. I believe that. I'm not saying that moms and women don't have anything to do with the, with the faith. But I'm saying that men, you, you occupy a, a tremendous place of responsibility on the faith of your children. You teach them something about God every single day 
of your life just by the way you live in front of them. That's a big burden. Like I said, when my children were growing up, I, I, I tried to live with the ever-present in my mind that I had one opportunity to teach my children to love Jesus. That was my goal while they were in my house because I wanted them to know the Jesus that I knew. And I wanted them to love the Jesus that I love. And I had one shot at it. And I could say one thing and I could do something different and totally negate everything I just said. So I, I, wanted, I wanted to live it before them. The angel said, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. And then the next verse gives one of the most beautiful names that he would be called Emmanuel, God with us. See, we need, we need both. We need a Savior because we're sinners. But we need Emmanuel because we need him with us in the day-to-day. I'm going to close, bring this in for a landing tonight. You know, it's, Christmas is about the truth that God actually came down to earth in the, in the person of a little baby. It's about the truth that he was born of a virgin named Mary in a little towny village called Bethlehem. It's about the truth that Jesus was fully God, fully man. He was the, the God-man. As a, Carol puts it, see him in the manger laid, Jesus, Lord of heaven and earth. Mary, Joseph, lend your aid. Sing with us our Savior's birth. That's Christmas. Of all the characters that we have in the Christmas story, Joseph, to me, stands as a man worthy of modeling. Because when the going got tough, he stayed put. When he heard the instructions from God, he obeyed and he did what he was told to do. Again, I, when I get to heaven, he, he will be among my I say that there's so many characters I, I want to meet, but I'd like to meet Joseph. Because there have been times where I look at his story and I think, man, how would I have reacted to something like that? What were the emotions? Again, maybe not in that particular situation, but we all have had opportunities to be betrayed. We've had opportunities for people to stab us in the back. And we have the same emotions that flood us. And we think to ourselves, how could you do that to me? Why would you do that to me? He was a man of faith. I want you to stand with me as we close tonight. Again, this would be, as I said, this would be a good Father's Day message because it speaks a lot to the heart of Joseph as a man. The Bible Again, puts a lot of responsibility on man and fatherhood. You know, people today want to ask what's wrong with the, with the teenagers in our world today. And I would simply say, if you look at the, at the rate of fatherlessness in society, more kids today that are being raised in single-parent house, single households, absentee fathers, that's a big problem. We don't talk much about it, and we don't hear much about it, but the truth of the matter is dads play a big role. And I would imagine we don't have much more information about Joseph. There's traditions that talk about his life. You don't see him towards the end of uh, the 33 years that you know, Jesus walked there. You don't see him much after this story. 
a lot of speculation about what happened. We're not told what happened. Probably passed away, died somehow. But the time that he had, he was a model. He influenced the baby Jesus. One of my favorite movies, Christian movies of all time, is The Passion of the Christ. And what that movie did for me is it personalized Jesus. We talk about, you know, we talk about Jesus and we know he's the son of God. He is God, the second of the Trinity. And yet, he was a baby. (laughs) And as a baby, he grew up. And I remember the scenes of him as a little boy playing with the other kids in the street. And that just, for me, kind of registered like, oh, he probably did that. There's one scene, one of my favorite scenes is he's out there playing and, and he falls down and he scrapes his knee and he cries. And Mary hears him and does what mothers do. She runs to him to console him. And I thought, that's the humanity of, that's God. <laughs> and yet he suffered just like we do. He laughed, he cried. Things that we don't think much about, but that was, that's what he did. Because God became one of us to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Would you bow with me as we close in prayer tonight? And I'm just going to close with this, this closing prayer. Joseph stands as a Christmas character worthy to be looked at because he was faithful. He was faithful to do the right thing in the face of ridicule. The Bible says he took her to be his wife right then. He broke the customs. He did what was right. And it cost, it, 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 no doubt, they, they probably, I would imagine people being the same as they've always been. Human nature, they probably were talked about. Maybe people snickered as they walked by. But Joseph did it anyway because that's what God told him to do. And I'm just going to close with this. If you're online, if you'll comment, maybe here tonight, say, you know what, Pastor? I want to be that type of person. I want to, I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful to do what is right, not what is expedient. Even if it's tough, even if it costs me, I want to do what is right. I want to be faithful. I want to be found faithful in whatever lot God calls me. If that's you tonight, just slip in right right back down as we pray. Amen. If you're online, if you'll comment. Father, tonight, thank you. Thank you for the beautiful story of Joseph. Lord, not one we hear much about, not one we talk much about, but what an incredible story. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this, the incarnation, God becoming one of us. Thank you for Joseph, his willingness to step up and to step in. And to be obedient to do what you've called him to do. And I pray that each of us here, especially those who raise their hand tonight, Lord, help us to be found faithful. Lord, faithful in the, in the face of difficulty and hardship. Lord, help us to walk in honor of you. Do that which honors you, not what is expedient to us. Lord, as Joseph chose to do the right thing, even though it was hard, Lord, may we be willing ourselves to do the right thing, to stand for what is right. Lord, to lead a life that would exemplify what faith is all about and the difference that it makes in our life. I pray for families. I pray for husbands and wives and parents. 
Lord, help us to know that we are shaping the destinies of our children and grandchildren. So may we be found faithful in our day-to-day walk and may they see an example in us that would be worthy of Joseph's example where they would say, Father, Lord, and it would mean something. Now go with us, I pray. Give us a wonderful night. May we find sweet rest in you. Bring us again on Sunday. Lord, ready to receive from you. I speak blessings over each person here now in the mighty name of Jesus. And we all said, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us online tonight. Look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you, and I love you very much. Child that you delivered will soon.